Hi, and welcome to the 96th edition of Keen Minds. We cover NBC's The Blacklist. This is Season 7, Episode 12, Cornelius Ruck. I am Jen, a.k.a. Takata Saiko. And I am Tessa. And what a fantastic episode! For as many complaints all around as I had last week, I have just as many praises to sing about this week's. It was phenomenal. I really, really enjoyed it. It was so entertaining. Um, and and just like lightheaded, we saw Red doing an autopsy. Um, it, it was just great. Oh, it just, it was absolutely fantastic. It's, it takes a lot of talent to take a show that's been on air for over seven, you know, in well into the seventh season to introduce brand new characters where for the majority of the show, the only character we know, we just have one that we know. And to make it feel like these, these side characters have been with us for years. Mm. I was devastated. Yeah, the dialogue when, was brilliant. Oh, I just devastated when Anika died. I'm like, no, no, you can't take her from me. I'm already, I just met her and I loved her. Bring her back. Yeah. It was also it was very, very so well. talented cast of 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 uh of, for the episode. Very, very impressive. Yeah, I I was very impressed. I, it was a fun ride. It was quick and clever. Very tightly written. Very tight dialogue. It just everything about it. I I have really no complaints of. Of any magnitude for it. It was just, I, I, I had a lot of fun with this episode. Yeah, it, I think it was almost perfect. It felt like a heist without it actually being a heist. Well, it, it also referenced a heist that happened um, casually in 2017. So when Red was like really poor and, uh, you know, all of this was happening. That is when that happened. That's interesting. I didn't. I didn't go back and do the numbers for that, but you're right. Yeah, that so this must have been what Liz was on. in a coma. Red was out um, uh, in gallivanting the, Yeah, getting the casket stolen. Um, very, uh, what a, um, it was really a masterclass in, in an episode that, it was very much like Cape May where we, you don't, every character is new except Red. Um, and when you're at the same time, you are revisiting so many parallels. I felt that I was in a candy store. I was like, there were symbols all around me. There were uh, severed fingers and they were, um, uh, and there was uh, in an island, it was water and there was plaid. And, you know, the, it was green. It was just like I felt like being like like getting a a, a gift. <laughs> I mean, the callbacks were fantastic. You had Madeline Pratt first and foremost, and it, just as you said, Kate May. It felt like when Katarina and Red were working together at Kate May and fighting back on these people that you know mm-hmm. were it all in their heads. Um, but that it felt like that with them working together. And so I don't know if we'll see Cassandra again, but I, because of the, 
the callbacks that they gave us, I feel like that that really deepened the character. We we felt how much she meant to Red. Just yeah. in, you know, through those those small, subtle it, knots. It was interesting because I, I don't feel that they were very long relationships. I think um, to me, they didn't breed like this, you know, long, protracted, very emotional, very involved relationships. It felt like she meant something like Madeline Pratt and in a woman that maybe at some time she felt like, you know what, what if I just escape this? What if I don't finish whatever it is that I'm doing? What if I just go away and enjoy life? And he had said like he's exhausted, often exhausted being a fugitive. And... It was very interesting because there were so many parallels between uh, 114 and, and 712. Shall we talk about them? Because it is fascinating. Yeah, let, let's jump into the parallels first, and then we'll get into characters after that. I mm-hmm. But I do think that the parallels helped, you know, they, they helped... Cement the characters, because yeah. you're not building onto nothing. You have... You have already Madeline Pratt there with that same kind of relationship that helps you build another character. So now it's not just a one-off. It's something that Red has done. It becomes part of Red and it builds up that character. A man who can fall for a woman and want to go and, and feel like, you know, what if I just abandon all this? And at the end, this obligations is fate it's uh, the family that he has to come back. And Cassandra calling on it, I stole the money because you had already left. Yeah. So that was very good. Um, among the parallels I have, and I have to give a shout out to um, the other Jen in my life in Reddit that got a lot of them that I didn't get. Um, for example, both involved Turkey. It was the it was the 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 safe in Istanbul that Madeline Pratt steals a document to get Red's attention, and Cassandra stole ten million from Red because she told him basically that they were stealing thirty million, not forty million. Um, there was also both things involved archaeological artifacts that had secrets pertaining to American national security. One was the effigy, the other one was uh, the caskets. Both had um, involved a a steal of 10 million. Both of them mentioned 40 million, the 40 million that they they really stole, the 40 million of the Vermeer that uh, Madeline stole. And... um, They were both plans in the same time period between the time that the kings first got married in 2013 that made plans to leave with another woman and at the end decided not. This was also, as it lines up, when he first ran from Madeline, or Madeline, there we go, when he first ran from Cassandra. And that's, I'm kind of trying to think about the timeline now because when he when he didn't show back up, apparently they, that happened and they still worked together with this group afterwards. Yeah. So they, they've been, you know, hit and miss over the years. But um, 
I just lost the train of thought. Ah, that when he came down off the mountain in a rage to the mm-hmm. wedding, it sounds like this is what he was leaving. Because well, no, he, in the in the mountain was um, he was working with the Colombian government negotiating a mm. ceasefire between the rebels and the militia. But it is the same time period. Same time period, though, yeah. because he said that that he uh, he left because of the situation. Yeah, and that's what what he because he refers to not that she had married this guy, but she was already married to this guy. So this is all between that's, 2013. That's right. Sorry, my yeah. brain is. <laughs> I've been stuck inside too long. <laughs> yeah, between 2011 and 2013, he had two times he felt uh, tempted to leave it all behind, and I think that the that we should refresh what he said about Madeline. Forget about the whole story about the Christmas and all that. That was part of the uh, of you know it may have elements of truth or not, whatever. But it is when he says, I can still smell the nape of her neck, feel the little fingers on my cheek, her whisper in my ear. That's why I didn't show up in Florence. It is why I haven't shown up in a lot of places over the years. And told Cassandra, you thought it was about you. It wasn't. I had obligations. And Cassandra says to the young woman you were watching over, he says yes. So this is... It, the the two elements put together, they work so well to create this repeat things. During this time period, Red was so tempted not to come into her life, even though he had had some train her to be in in, uh, in law enforcement. She, he still was thinking, maybe I can just go. Maybe I can't. I don't need to do this. So it paints, it is masterfully done by going back to the same theme and revisiting again with little variations, but enough parallels that you cannot miss it. It's like parallel fest in there. Yeah, and it was very well done. I mean, it wasn't anything that, I mean, yes, it screamed out for people that, you know, have been watching for years and that watch very closely. But I think it was woven in such a way that it was more of a subconscious reaction mm-hmm. for the majority. I, I would assume for the majority of viewers that watch this casually mm-hmm. and did a very good job of that, which the blacklist in the past has been very good at doing just mm-hmm. slipping little things in there. Mm-hmm. That reminds us of something else. Like to when- encourage it back. When we go to, when he's about to die, he wants his ashes go to the pipes of Mama Lou. Mama Lou is the, the opium den owner where he was in, in Cape May. So you bring back, and by doing this little thing, you're bridging back when he thought Liz had died when he's thinking about his own death. So it's all, it was, it was just great. There was a scene in there, and I don't, I don't know if it was meant to be a parallel or not. But I, while I was watching it Friday night, I looked down for just a second and looked back up, and I was fighting a moth that got into my apartment during the episode. <laughs> um, but when Cassandra shoots the flare off and lights the guy on fire. 
mm-hmm. it reminded me so much of that moment in Ruin, mm-hmm. where Liz just lights the guy up. And that's the, because it the was difference the difference is Cassandra doesn't look like a smile, like, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, Cassandra did make the comment. She said, you know, I'm not capable of it. Like, you didn't get the impression anybody there. Red was the most, while I hesitate to say comfortable, oh, he, he was, was the he most was comfortable with killing out of that entire group, I think. I mean, and we can get into this a little deeper when we start going through it. But or Joker, I think, too. Uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, he was the gunman, so probably. But, but not, like, not the look, way they killed Margot. That was brutal. No, no. I mean, I think that if jo- uh, Joko had been doing it, he would have just put a bullet in everybody's head. Yeah. Like, he seemed like a much more straightforward type of guy. And when Mom Mao went after uh, Cassandra, it was it was an emotional reaction. He yeah. wasn't... It, I don't think he was, on whole, a murderer. I think he was an explosive expert, which was nice, because it reminded me of... Uh, an explosive temperament. <laughs> well, that, too. Um, <laughs> very nice. Uh, but, no, of... Um, I'm blanking on his name. He's out of Germany. Oh. We've seen uh, him several times. Um, Max Rudiger. 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 Yeah. Max Rudiger. And so... It, but it's kind of nice to see... We've seen over the years how many different types of people Brad knows. It's nice to see, okay, there's not just one person in this entire world that's good at this. Like, he has multiple people that he knows with the skill set, that they have different approaches to it. They do different... It's It makes it more realistic, I think, in my opinion. And these are very... This is, this is high stuff of uh, very specific nature, that they have done, that they have steal things. And it's funny because he tends um, he tends towards the same kind of woman, women who tend to betray him. Yeah. I mean, well, apparently when they're not betraying him, he's not that interested. Well, I have in my notes, Red has a type. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, the only one that we've seen that doesn't fall into this category that we know of is um what's her name with the the glass figurines uh, uh Josephine. Josephine yeah i She's had in, her in a very but we don't know a great deal about her so she may have been a lot you know if we'd started digging deeper into her and gotten more from her you know more backstory she may have had it, did, it didn't seem like that but it, i i also noted something between now that we have seen we have um, under our belt Madeline, and we have Cassandra now. What I notice is that even though these women are part of Red's life, you know, you also, if you add Luli, for example, and you add Josephine, all the women that we have seen him past, you know, we have seen him with the virologist and with Dr. Lomay, but not that, they don't seem that serious they seem more like a fling yeah um luli didn't know why he was buying that house well i don't think he and luli uh was it luli yeah luli he was um i don't think they were involved yeah well she wasn't she was in his apartment in his in his shirt in the morning we're we're thinking about two different people then i'm thinking about from season one uh his accountant yes luli no, she wasn't straight. She hated men. No, that's what Red said. 
And yeah, wait a minute. There. Oh, remember. we got a great discussion about that. Okay, because I don't remember her being yeah. in his house in her shirt. Oh, yes. When when Liz comes in the morning, she's over there bringing him a cup of coffee in a bra and his shirt. I really yeah, don't that, remember that. <laughs> yeah, generally that does not mean anything. No. But if you that, think about what he said to, to Don, he said, he said to, to Donald, she hates men, and especially cops. Meanwhile, it's pretty obvious that she doesn't hate men at all. She's all over red. And um, so what is it really red saying to, to Donald? Is he saying tongue-in-cheek, I'm a cop too? This is what I'm doing. And then we go and they talk about don't judge a book by its cover. Do it by the first and the last chapter. Um, so a lot of the things that Red says, you have to really look at, at, at that. Um, but So he was involved with Luli and Luli didn't know why he bought the house to blow up. Uh, he apparently loved Josephine and described it a creature more beautiful than you could ever comprehend. And yet, he never married her. I kind of got the impression with her, it was one of those, she was a sweet soul, and he wasn't used to people that were that kind and that generous and that innocent. Mm -hmm. And there was something attractive about that. I don't think they would have done well in a relationship, per Probably se. Probably not, but the fact is he didn't marry her. And Madeline, he was less honest with Madeline, even though he basically told her, I, I stood you up because I had to take care of my family. It was about my family. It's about my daughter. I remember my daughter's hand in my cheek. I remember the whisper. And to me, it feels like uh, when we get to Cassandra, you see that he had a bit more of trust in Cassandra. Because he told her, I'm taking care of, a, I'm, I have obligation towards a woman I'm looking after. The fact that she knew, even if she didn't know Liz's name, but she knew that she existed, mm -hmm. that, that is impressive. That was huge. Mm -hmm. And so they, they were close. He mm -hmm. had a lot of faith in her. And yeah. so maybe not, I mean, just the world that they live in. Faith and trust doesn't always go hand in hand. No, it, it's as good as it gets. Yeah. But it's impressive because when you put them together, he told Madeline it was about his daughter. Um, you know, that he remembers her as a little girl. And then he tells Cassandra he has obligations. And a lot of people are thinking, oh, obligations mean it's not about love. It's, no, there is something called parental obligation. You're, you're, you've got an obligation to look after your children, even was, when they're adults in a way. It was a very strange wording uh, because it, it tripped me up a little bit. I went, obligation. Like, I... No matter how angry I get with Brad, I do believe he loves Liz. I believe he loves her in a parental sort of fashion, not... From what I hear, the Lizingtons jumped all over that last scene. I went, really? I saw nothing romantic there. I mean, like, I've seen times where I'm going, oh, they're teasing Lizingtons again. This was not the episode for that. And so no, I, I, I don't know if it's just, like... It was, I don't it know. was also a play on, on all the times I've said, I have you... 
when in 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 Wujin, she says, you know, that's all you have, and she, he says, I have you. And then again in 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 one fourteen, he tells her, you have me, and I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. This has been repeated a lot, like having you, you have me, uh, we have each other, and that to me it read, you know, there was such um, there was such love when he was watching. Um, Agnes dance and what I what I'm going to say you have to be impressed because you've been a lot of the times about how red doesn't really uh, grow as a character and I gotta say aren't you impressed with him in this episode I I love red in this episode I thought it was the best of red and he actually I, I have, told her, he actually told her, you misread me, I misread you. And that is huge for Red. Red has come to understand that when it comes to reading people, sometimes it's not that good. Yeah. And, that, and, uh, and that's huge for as a as character uh, development. Yeah, admitting it is not usually his forte. I will say that if there was any lesson from this episode learned... It's listen to Dembe's gut reaction to things. That man said, I don't trust this dude. And Red goes, hey, we're fine. <laughs> no, I don't trust Cassandra. Is that no, what he, he did. Uh, yeah. I think he was talking about. I don't about... trust Cassandra. He said, no, be fine. No, I thought it was about the situation on hold. Oh, I'm sure that it was about that too. But it, it, what he said specifically was, "I don't trust Cassandra," okay. and he said it'd be fine. And sure, you know, she was not to be trusted. Now, the interesting thing here is we have another one of the false flag fake agent situations. I have that in my notes. I love the fact because we have. Basically, they're CIA operatives that aren't CIA operatives. You had they started with FBI because it said the FBI came to her, but then suddenly the FBI morphed into the CIA and they were really the Turks. Yeah. And so, and then you also had the second version of it in which the Turks killed the staff on the island and then posed as the staff. Mm-hmm. And so it was very interesting. It was very well done. And I'm just going. This is leading to something. Mm-hmm. I, well, I see the path you're paving here. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it was very exciting because, I mean, we had Ilya, Ilya Surkov, which is probably the most complex episode in terms of the plot. And I found when, when we were doing in Reddit a rewatch over the summer, uh, I found that I I had to explain the episode because a lot of people had not understood a lot of what was happening. It is it is really complex, and it is, and that's when I understood a lot of of what they're doing when they when they they craft these things like this. It makes it almost impossible to articulate what you are saying about these characters because there is so much pretending and there is so many points of view, thank you Jennifer about understanding all these things that are all coming from it's almost impossible to explain Ilias Surkov because they, they were CIA but they really weren't but they really were 
and and he, there was a slush fund, and then it was really like the money for the CIA that he had been provided for it. So when you put so many deceptions together, the result is fascinating. And when we get here, we revisit that, the fake CIA, we got it in the scimitar that they created a fake agent. I mean, we've been doing this for so many episodes. It's great when we get this one and by now this is starting to feel familiar you're you're and i've been saying i i don't know if you remember but i've been saying that Ilya wasn't really kgb and neither was katarina i've been saying that for lord knows how long um and i think that with these things is just becoming very evident that this is a massive charade that they put on well, i mean the blacklist is notorious for their Typically pretty good switch arounds, you know, it's uh, for the most part, they do very well with them. I, I think that the show on whole is plotted out very well. They're, they're points that they want to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as it frustrates me that I feel like it's been pulled thin over the years because I think they've overextended. I do think that at least their key points they've had planned out by they, I mean the Johns Mm -hmm. have had planned out since day one. And it's it's very obvious when you see how they repeat themes. Um, The one thing I, I, this is totally like out of it. Um, Well, one of the things that I was so insanely excited um, I'm not sure that it says very good things about me, was to see all those fingers, severed fingers. I was so excited because it's a cotton down. I'm not we, sure we should leave that in the podcast. You might have the men in the white coats breaking the, <laughs> no, breaking the shelter in place to come talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have, look at this. They have, we started the, the do, if, I don't know if you remember in, in the, um, pilot, how when Liz is in the car with Beth and the guy, you know, she's upside down in the car and the guy comes in, gives her a mask and then does a countdown with the fingers. Mm-hmm. And he starts with like, you know, the full hand and he takes one finger, another one yeah. until it's just the, the, the fist. And then he drops the bomb. By the way, I loved the moment with Red. Let's see if you can count. Yes, I love that. I feel like this episode, while I loved Red to death in it, it was everything I do love about Red. It was, you know, I I feel like him at his best. It was also, it it was a clear reminder how good and how deadly this man is. He may smile, he may laugh, he may charm someone to avoid mass violence but when push comes to shove he can kill someone he has no hesitation there if it's what needs to happen it's not his first go-to necessarily but he's very good at saying okay this needs to happen done yeah and i loved that moment there where he's the fish yeah it just it was such a wonderful wonderfully red moment just the fish and the guy's going 
WTF, you know, <laughs> the what fish <laughs> and just that leading him down that and confusing the crap out of him and then turning around and stabbing him you know, in the, the heart. Fish. Thank you. I love the symbols. I mean, there was a, I feel like it was a kid in a candy store. He's stabbing somebody with a fish. What, wasn't it the knife though, that he had set on the, no, the, it was the end of the fish. Oh, it's okay. like, like a swordfish and he, Broke the the end, and that's where this. Ah, okay, went. okay. It was beautiful, but the fingers. We need to talk about the fingers. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I tried to get her off the fingers. <laughs> <laughs> we start with in the in the first episode. We have this countdown, right? That we're we're going down. So we got a count of six, and then that's when they drop the bomb, the the smoke bomb, and then we start a very peculiar number of fingers caught. Uh, uh, severed. So we start with Carla, Naomi Highland. She loses one finger that it gets sent to red. Continue. Next episode is Leonard Cole. He has two fingers severed when they tried to guillotine him and he just uh, lost the fingers that way. He put those two fingers in between and got and got them caught. We continue with Pete McGee losing three fingers. And now this guy lost all four. So now we're just down to the thumbs. But it's possible that the Who's thumbs are how many thumbs? And then we're getting the bomb. How many? Remember Andres Halmy that Red cut the fingers oh, to yeah. in, in the thing. And then we have a full hand. But I think that when we get the last one, we're getting a bomb drop on us. That's, That's what that means. interesting. I like that theory. Okay, I'm glad you went back to the fingers. I like that. <laughs> so because it is it it has happened. I mean, we've had hands severed and all kind of weird things that have happened. Like uh, Wu Jing starts with a guy cutting the hand of the dead guy. Then Berlin cuts his own hand. There's a lot of severed body parts that I'm the like tongue. The, the tongue, tongue getting cut off. And yeah. the tattoo of the spider. And then we have all those, say, the spider to the fly and the fly to the spider. That still remains one of my favorite, like, let's show that Tom is not little innocent teacher. <laughs> he just, like, carves the skin off and sends it in a package to Red. Yeah. And Red's just like, here, Liz. She's like, what? Body parts and boxes. There is a lot of stuff and plastic bags. Um, and Berlin got all those body parts. So there is there is there is threads that are coming. And when we get to one of these episodes, I feel like a kid in a candy store. I mean, he was stabbing people with fish. There were four severed fingers. And they were like, they really got to look at them. The camera was right on the finger. It, it was glorious i had such a fun time then we have cassandra turning on the fireplace uh so there is there is this thing about red associated with water they're in that island they're in the baltic sea um and then there is these women who are fiery and have fiery tempers red hair white people on fire that yeah. sort of thing yeah yep. But it was interesting that this both Madeline and him are blondish and Cassandra are blondish. Mm-hmm. I was found that very interesting. Uh, the the scientist was blonde. She was blonde. Um, 
uh, Josephine was brunette. I don't think. Oh, there is not, that. That's not the type at all. I was going to say like, that it's it's a personality type. It's a danger. Yeah. It's yeah. you know he lives a dangerous life. He lives off of that adrenaline rush. So. Mm-hmm. Shocker. He likes his women fast and dangerous. They have to be able to keep kind of like I said for years that if Tom had been who he pretended to be at the very beginning, he never would have been able to keep up with Liz. They either would have been divorced or he would have been killed very early on if he had Mm -hmm. been teacher Tom. That she needs someone that can keep up with her. It's the same thing with Red. He is never going to have this innocent little person that, you know, oh, I cooked you dinner. Like that's not going to happen. It's he needs yeah, someone. Is there that, dinner? Is there poison there? Exactly. <laughs> so, why did you cook? Are you trying to get rid of me? <laughs> you know? um, oh, that would have been such a fantastic moment, young Red and Katarina. <laughs> I, I ha- you. Did you now? <laughs> <laughs> the risotto. Did you make risotto? What is in the risotto? Is it rat poison risotto? Exactly. <laughs> um. One of the the other thing interesting that happened here is I've been noticing this thing about the goons with the goatees. And that goes back to the guy with Katerina in, in Cape May. He had a goatee. And a, uh, the guy who beat up Liz had a goatee. There is so many guy bad guys with goatees. So I'm thinking that they got to be something about this. They're not choosing most of the goons that come there not particularly smart to have goatees for a reason. And I think <laughs> it goes back to the night of the fire, the guy that had the goatee and the and the plaid t-shirt. And then finally it was plaid. There was plaid. Cooper had a plaid t-shirt, a plaid shirt, and there were the plaid blankets covering the people in the island. The the dead uh, people in the island. Yeah. Well, I mean, following your theory, which I've always been very fond of your plaid theory, but following that, at least for covering the bodies, that would make sense because you have the Turks pretending to be those people. And so that's the link. Um, Cooper, I don't know. That seems like something that would be yet to be revealed in full. Yes. We may have. We're going to see that soon. Yeah. Maybe not even this year with the production stopped. Well, I was going to say, we're what they were going to reveal may get pushed off to next season. So I, I don't know, and I don't know if they've made the decision yet, if they're going to just push those four episodes into next year, or they're going to film late. I, I don't know how they're going to handle it. Yeah, no clue. Be- and and then, Well, until everything's more under wraps than it is now they have no way to predict that Mm -mm. i mean with cities shut down it just it's it's the last i mean well it's not the last thing on people that that's their jobs mind but you know in the grand scheme of things yeah yeah there there are many things moving with this Mm -hmm. um so do we want to move into characters because we had such a fun collection with this heist group. And we, we've spoken a bit about them. But, mm-hmm. uh... Um, 
there is there is one more thing that I want to mention that is kind of theory and not character driven is that Red seems to think that with the what he thought was the death of Blonde Cat, his obligation to look for to look after Liz is basically fulfilled, and that is an interesting aspect of it. Maybe it has more to do with the Townsend Directive than Katarina herself. Yes. That that he's worried the Townsend Directive would come down on Liz. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, because it is... He has never expressed at any point that, you know, maybe it is, I hope she isn't. So that danger must have come from from the Townsend Directive looking for Katerina, and now that they had this woman, which I don't think is Katerina, it's somehow that has taken the, that danger off and fulfilled the directive. What he has no idea is that it's nothing of the kind. Um, because I don't think that, that this woman, that, that the people in the directive knew very well that she wasn't the one that they were looking for. That's the reason with his brothers didn't decide, hey, I'll take her money and then I'll kill her and take the directive myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have one other thing uh, before we jump into characters that's, mm-hmm. that's more... I don't know if theory-driven is quite the correct term because mm-hmm. it's one of those, here's the pattern, where is it leading? So we spent. Tom died at the season or the fall finale, mid-season finale in season five. He was obviously still very much pushing the story forward. It was Liz trying to to seek revenge for mm-hmm. his death in the back half of season five, and then at the finale, we saw her talking at his grave and basically saying goodbye to him. Season six, he, I don't believe he was mentioned once. I don't think so. Um, I don't think anybody referred to him. They didn't mention him. And then now we're in season seven, and he's been mentioned in three different episodes, twice in this one. Reddington made the comment about the fact Maybe that he came a back. Life. Yeah, well... That he came back because of Tom. Mm-hmm. Didn't mention him by name. It was back to that. Remember how he used to refer to him as the husband? Yes. It was that same sort of vibe there. It was, you know, Liz's husband. I mean, he didn't call her by name. But, you know, mm-hmm. he was referring to, you know, that she'd married this person. Not referring to him by name. That could have just been because he wasn't dropping names to, uh, to Cassandra. But it was just a very interesting sort of phrasing that he had there. Mm-hmm. And then turning around and revisiting the bigger life sort of conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I am well aware that I have a shipper lens that I view this through. I would love for them to be gearing up that in the last couple episodes of the show in general, that if Ryan has the availability, they alias this and bring him back. (laughs) Like it'll, it'll make all the suffering worth it (laughs) for me to know that they can, had their walk in the park. I, I'm not but a shipper. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I, I don't know what the purpose is. But there is something. We're, we're about to 
go over that hump into something because there's a reason they're well, bringing him back around. Start bringing him back more often yep. because we we know that they have they do these things. For example, they did it with Jennifer. They mentioned her in season two two times, and then she was gone. Um, and then appear in season five. So we know that when they do things like this, there is there is a reason why they are doing this. There was other ways of going around this. There was no reason to even mention the husband. He could have said to Cassandra she was in some jeopardy, and there was no reason to put that specifically there. Um, I, there is something, you know, I'm, I'm not viewing it as a shipper. I don't believe in that. But what I do see is the parallels, and the parallels is that generally the fake death are like 31 and counting, so it is hard for me that unless I see the head explode or the body hit the water, I'm really not that convinced of people being really dead, especially because Red himself was not the one who said it. Who, he didn't went, He didn't go to identify Tom's body. That was Cooper. So basically what he was telling Liz was not a lie, even if Tom had been alive is what he believed to be. So whenever I see those kind of things, I'm like, hmm, this is a little weird. And plus, we have Katerina, who supposedly is dead, but it wasn't. Um, and now she's totally disappeared. Um, I thought it was interesting. They they have, and we've also had, when you go back to Redemption, you had the body doubles, where people were quite literally being surgically altered to be doppelgangers. And that was an entire episode in that. That was eight episodes. Everything had to mean something in that. And so the fact that we've had that and I, I the Not one to thing. The masks. Yeah. Sinclair and the masks. The yes. people who can make a mask. Exactly. And a cadaver, they're going to look dead anyway. And I'm just, I, there was something about Red's statement. And I think it was more geared towards Red, but it's it's still something that I'm weighing into this whole mass hope that Tom's alive. <laughs> well, it, um, it wouldn't surprise when me he, either when way. He made the, when he made the comment last week about that his casket seemed real. It's, I think that was a reference for Red. I don't think that was a direct reference. Even if Tom is alive, I don't think it was a direct reference to him. But that's just sort of a overarching thing that we've seen again and again and again with people coming back. People that are supposed to be dead that are not um, people who are dead and they are kept alive by somebody else taking the name. It's identity. It goes right to identity, fake death, yep. who is not. Here's my question to you. If, theoretically, Tom were alive, do you think Liz would be in on it or not? It could go both ways. It could go both ways because... You know, I, I I know that a lot of there is a lot of Liz hate in the world, and I remember that at one point I sat down. It was in season two. That's when I came to Tumblr, and that's one of the reasons I came to Tumblr was to kind of put my thoughts in order. And I started thinking, what if Liz is doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing? What if Megan is playing Liz exactly as she's supposed to be playing her? And what I came, when I started analyzing those flip-flops that drove people crazy, what I saw was Liz knows or suspects Brett is her father. 
And when you view it like that, then it makes sense. When she feels rejected, he flips one way. And when she feels accepted and loved, she flips the other way. So that that puts me into thinking, what does Liz really know and who is she playing? Because, uh, and somebody in Reddit um, made that observation that Liz always, you know, she she's very sweet when she wants, like she was telling Red in, in 601 at the end, you know, that my father was beautiful and all that and grabbing his hand and all that, also sweet. And she's just getting ready to betray him. And she did the same to Kirk. She's, he told, she told Tom he's going to see my affection. He's going to see what he wants to see, my affection, not what is real, my deception. And and that he's he's done it many times. And I would not be surprised if Liz knows a lot more than she lets on or if she's on or something. There is... Um, there is an aspect of Liz that that I'm never quite sure what she's playing because sometimes when you think that you got her pegged, Megan does this little thing that tells you, "Whoa, wait a minute! I didn't. That didn't go with the rest." And, Misjudged her. Yeah, and and I and I and I have seen other uh, actors in the show do the same thing. I saw it with Naomi. There is moments in you, she just like lets something go in the eyes and there is something different happening there that she's just suddenly just... Ryan was notorious for it in season one. There's this fantastic scene in the Ansel Garrick episodes. Uh, it's when he, you know, when Tom's calling through and Liz's phone rings and Anslo answers it. You see this shift in Tom's eyes in which, like, just, I'm about to murder him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, someone is about to die. And I, I call it his resting murder face. Mm-hmm. But there was, especially in season one, there was a shift in him. Um, it was also when he first woke up from the the mm-hmm. uh, coma, when, mm-hmm. when uh, from, from the pilot. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up, and when he first comes around, there's a hardness there. And then he turns and looks at Liz, and he blink. I, I know he didn't even blink; it just shifted. Mm-hmm. And Ryan is insanely good about that. I yeah. I feel like their entire main cast they have, they did s- shout out to the casting department because they picked actors and actresses that are able to work with those subtleties. Mm. Like some people just can't. They may be yeah. decent actors and actresses, but they they don't understand those subtleties mm-hmm. that, the, that the people that we have working on this show do. Yeah, especially a show that deals so much with close-ups. Yes. In which, so so that you know, I don't know. To your question, I think it could go either way. Um, I, I they would have to really have a good a, a good thing about um, why he had been away, but then. We don't know. Well, my, my running theory, if he is alive, um, if Liz knows, oh, well, if he's alive, my guess is he's out of the field. He's not bouncing back. He's not capable of doing what he's always done to support Liz. He just, it's not going to happen. He, he would die. 
you know, <laughs> you just, uh, you know, you can only get hit so many times before you, you're slower getting back up. And so the two things I would think if Liz doesn't know, I would, my money would be on Scotty having moved in, done it. And that would explain Scotty and Liz's conversation on the couch where she seemed just very chill that her yeah. son is dead again, which yeah. I, it was either horrific writing and directing and everything under the sun, or there's something more that still hasn't come about yet. Yeah. It just, that I have a pin in that scene like none other, because I'm just waiting with bated breath, hoping that that makes more sense someday. And if Scotty had kidnapped her own son and, you know, took him away, maybe he was in a coma for a while. Maybe for he all just... you know, he woke up, lost his memory or heard yeah. that he was dead and he's hiking the Himalayas. Yeah, I mean, and one it, day somebody will find him like Liz will get a call. we got a guy here and he says he's your husband like they did with Daniel Hutt and Daniel yeah. Hutton. And um, so that's that's one theory I have. And the other is that somewhere along the way, something like that happened. And Liz knows. Yeah. Um, and she found out. But it's all happened behind the scenes. And she she has said, stay away from it. You know, he might not be physically able to. Exa- he might that's have exactly that what I mean. Yeah. Lasting side effects that he just would not be able to be out in the field. And that if he were right there, he would be. You know he would be if he were right along with her. Yeah. He would be doing things to, you know, and if she didn't and want him to. he might be doing things on, on his family that we don't know anything about. Because yeah. in this in this show, I, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, that's a character long gone. It's like there's no character long gone. If they belong in the mythology, you can bet they're going to come back. They're going to be coming back one way or another. Even Alan Fitch came back after his head exploded via the the, the strange recording. That's that we can talk about characters. That's all I got. All right, cool. Well, uh, so what were you, what was your general feeling about I mean we, we've discussed on a high level the characters what were your feelings about the uh, the heist group it was great I love because it was very different from other of Red Crew Red Lives and it brought me back to at the beginning the first season in in 101 and 102 when Liz is telling Red that she's ba- he's basically comfortable anywhere in a cave with rebels and with whiskey and we have seen the the uh, kind of less polish of them which is like uh, actually the ones that he prefer and tends to be more at home with uh, the Brimleys the Max Rudiger um, the the new cleaners and then we have this high smooth crew um that do art heist um and they're friends for a long time he was still the one that was able to calm the room Mm -hmm. that was interesting to me i mean and that that's very much red he's it goes back to him being in control being the 
the manipulator, and I don't even mean that in a, in a bad way, but he is a manipulator. And he was able to settle tensions down before, I mean, granted, they didn't have guns to draw at that point. Yeah. But he was able to settle it down before that particular conversation got too heated. Yeah. It, it coming down by making everybody understand the, the value of everybody, which is something that Red has always done. You know, you don't disrespect the gun with a gun because the gun with a gun has a, a job to do and is important. Um, and, you know, it was it was an interesting crew. It was an interesting feel. Um, you had this this complex relationship where they had the the Mahmoud the uh, the in is on again and off again which for some reason felt like an important thing to keep in mind i think that is going to come up with red and somebody uh, with uh, with the, the the safe cracker and uh, i love the way they presented her i mean the way that she was like drinking and opening the locks and I we lost Margot too fast. <laughs> she was fantastic, and I don't know. Maybe there'll be a chance sometime in the future to have a flashback with her. It, she was know, phenomenal. I loved. I loved the relationship. I mean, and it wasn't something they were currently having, but the fact that it was so obvious that there had been a relationship added so much more weight and provided the path for Momo to. I'm mispronouncing his name. Uh, Mahmoud? Mahmoud? I think it is okay. Mahmoud. Um, for him to be able to travel down that path, it made so much more sense for him to have that emotion. You could tell he was still in love with her, still, mm-hmm. you know, just absolutely. Oh, it's probably one of those that they are on and off, on and off the entire life. Yeah. I mean, like the entire thing, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about Red earlier. He couldn't have just this sweet little thing at home that's, you know, perfectly normal. These people live in a heightened sort of situation all the time. And so it goes to show that their relationships would be, I mean, he's <laughs> he works with explosives. Mm-hmm. He's explosive. She, mm-hmm. you know, she. And again, we, we got a, a, a hot personality. A hot explosive personality where somebody described that he has ice water through his veins and goes again to those symbols that have red is always associated with water, with rivers, with fountains, with uh, seas, mm-hmm. with islands, with fishing, with fish. Uh, he kills somebody with a fish. And there is another relationship like that, you know. It's the whole thing was brilliantly done because you get to to know a character like Margot, who's on on uh, uh, the scenes are like maybe not even five seconds, and you get a sense for the character. Yeah, brilliant writing, brilliant casting, brilliant directing. That's exactly what I meant when we started out, and I said that. Lucas and the team that worked on this episode provided an anchor to make us feel like we've known these characters and we've we've seen them like we've seen Rudiger. You know, every time Rudiger pops back up, we're like, oh, it's Max. We love Max. Or, oh, it's Brimley. We love Brimley because we've had experiences with him. It's built. It's mm-hmm. We've gotten to that emotional connection with those characters. We had these folks for us. For an episode, and some of them, like Margot, we only had very brief interactions with, and yet I feel like I knew her for seasons, and that when she died, 
it hurt. And it was, you know, you could see why the ripples were going out and the reactions were being had. Uh, Anika was one of my very favorites of this lot. She was just her paranoia about it being cursed, which is something. Yeah, I mean, she was just, but it made her who she was. Mm -hmm. It made her good at what she did. I love these characters, and every one of them had flaws, deep deep flaws that just help oh they helped highlight the characters so well i just i cannot praise the writing mm. enough for it yeah it was it was really fun i mean each each one of them had had a little um something going um and then we get to cassandra and there is this feeling you know this is a woman who left the husband um shot mm. at red I um, loved that line of of him saying that you know she shot at him. I thought or because she thought it was her husband, and her saying, "Oh, I love committing crimes of passion. You want to commit one right now?" <laughs> it's, it, I mean, the whole the whole um, thing, and then something that Red does a lot, which is he. He's having one conversation. The person with him is annoyed at him because they want to have a different conversation with him. So he continues having his own conversation. The other person is having that other conversation. And you think that Red is paying, not paying attention, but he is. And that is that is something, it, it's one of those little things that, that have been happening since the very beginning. And when you see it, it, it just builds on that character. Um and then when we have to get to that scene where uh, they're watching the dance. Oh, absolutely. I have that. <laughs> that, that was going to be my next go-to once we finished with this crowd. The dance was great. Um, it's really interesting because I know that originally this episode and last week's episode were supposed to be aired together. Mm-hmm. And while that makes sense in the pacing the storytelling on both episodes were so starkly different that you would have last week's would have been entirely lost. If we had been recording these episodes together, we still would have spent most of our time on this one. It would have been okay. We've given a few moments to the last episode and there it is. And this one. Yeah. I think that he actually worked better. Yeah, I mean, it did. Um, and so it overshadowed. I, I just, I think it's the depth of knowledge for the characters and the story that's being told. Well, Lucas Ryder had been with the team exactly. since the very beginning. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, not yeah. to say that you cannot be a, a new writer. And if you're steep into the the characters and you've watched the, the show several times, there's no reason why you can just get on 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 target but definitely having somebody who's been there from the beginning and knows these characters inside out makes a big difference and that was my point yes and so just before i forget though there was this fantastic little moment that i had to back it up i didn't catch it on the first first run through it and then i had to back it up on the second and because they they didn't get it right on the subtitles Mm-hmm. <laughs> she called uh, Liz called Agnes Aggie. Oh, it was so cute. 
I know. It, it means nothing to anything of the story other than it was just freaking adorable and I melted a little bit. Okay. And, yeah, okay. So. <laughs> and like I said, I get excited about the fingers. You get excited about Aggie. So, yeah, we both have our things. Yeah, you get excited about Aggie. And I get excited about several fingers. I'm not sure that that reflects nicely on me, but so be it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, once I heard your full severed fingers theory, I was well on board with it and I enjoyed it greatly. So <laughs> kudos to the severed fingers. Um, I will say, and this, this may tilt back to what we were discussing about Liz and the fact that she plays the room. Mm-hmm. Very well. But at the end of 7A, the first half of 7, she was angry at Red. She thought that he was keeping her mother from her. And even last week's episode, she discussed it with Wrestler. And Wrestler was like, play dumb, play dumb. And... I guess that's probably what she's doing. She did it exceptionally well. Like, she went out of her way to make the comments about them having each other and just really endearing herself. And it was very interesting following the fact that, that Cassandra saw... Because it was very clear as she was watching Red watch Agnes, insanely clear that she realized, okay, so the obligation may be fulfilled, but that doesn't really matter. This is now his family. Whether it was Mm. or was not before, doesn't matter. It is now. Mm. And it just depends on how much she knows about things. But. You could see that. I mean, there was this like side look that she gave him, and you I think that she realized very well who he was, who who Agnes was to him. I think that there was yeah. a point in which she's just looking at him, and she's like, and then he tells him, "Who would have thought that underneath all that you're that sweet?" And that to me was, um, it it was like her little clue, like I'm not gonna take you away from your family. Um, I think that she understood that that family is not just simply, you know, a chosen family. That's my interpretation. There's, there, I have nothing to back it up except the way I read the scene. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I, I'm that person that feels like chosen family is and can be just as deep as oh, yeah. And And this show certainly shows that. Um, but I think the real thing I was aiming at was, was Liz playing red in that moment or did she feel that it could have gone either way because she has such a complicated relationship with this man that it's really hard to tell sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it just felt a little, you know what it remind me when, when, uh, he, you know, that he is taking that page uh, that we have seen, I mean, we saw uh, her do it in 601. We saw um, 
You saw Naomi tell Liz, you know, he wants something from you. He will make you feel like the center of your universe. Uh, We saw Tom say it to uh, the fake brother. Like, I made her feel she's, you know, my life revolves, my universe revolves around her. We saw uh, Emma said, you know, red can make anybody feel like they're the center of the universe. And I think... Uh, that there is something about that that Liz has learned very well if she didn't know it before. There is a a wholeness in Liz that is sometimes a little scary. Yeah. She's a good chess player. Mm -hmm. And and I wouldn't be surprised. At, At certain points, because she's also, she has blind sides that she... She probably should know by now, but it's tough to do that when it's an emotional blind side. Well, like her when you're reaction in an emotional to someone point, is blood. Yeah. It's gone. I mean, we've seen Red do stupid things when he's an emotional moment. We've seen Tom do it. We've seen everybody do it. Aram did it. Even Samar did it. Yeah. Less. She's more tough. <laughs> yeah. Um... And then right. finally, there is, you know, there was a, the, the godparents watch her dance. It was, it was a very sweet moment to see them all going and going about, about the, the little girl with the tights. Um, I found interesting, and I have to speak about Cooper in, in uh, the plaid shirt. Okay. Because that was weird. And I've, I've had a long, a long thought about what exactly is what Cooper says and what exactly does he really believe about red because one of the things and it's been brilliantly done if I'm right it's been totally brilliantly done it fooled me for almost a season um that Cooper seemed tells Liz, well, the man died 30 years ago and came back to life. That seemed to imply that he thinks red is red. Red, red is Reddington, the same Reddington he knew. And then, you know, they, they go to Kuwait and Cooper seems to confront Red about um, Ilya Koslov. And what is interesting to me is that it, it totally played, it could play as... Well, Cooper knows that now believes that Red is not Reddington, but it could also play as well. It maybe what Cooper is doing is trying to get one on Red. He gotta be tired of always Red having something on him. He's trying to get something on him. But it could also work as Cooper did some research on Reddington and found that that Reddington doesn't didn't exist before he went into the academy. That's why Liz said you found Reddington's father and apparently that's not easy to find. So I wonder if when Cooper was saying that is because Cooper believed that Red's original identity was Ilya Koslov, but not necessarily that he took that identity in 1991. And it works equally well for any of the three alternatives. And I thought it was brilliantly done. So when they have now Cooper in plaid, as he watches, he told Red about about um, Agnes' recital when Liz hadn't. Uh, so that tells me that 
he has an idea that this is not just uh, an imposter that took the identity, that he knows that Red, that Liz and Agnes mean something, that they're his family. And, you know, he has he has fought for the man. He had saved his life. He called him his friend. He went and smoked cigars with him. He threatened the president of the United States. Um, so to me, it reads as Cooper is keeping secrets and these secrets are kept from Liz. So Cooper knows a lot more than he does. I don't know what is that he knows because he works for everything, as most things in the blacklist. So that's it. That's what I got about Plaid. Yeah, I, I Cooper is definitely in that sort of interesting area of I'm not quite sure how much he knows. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I don't know what the full breadth of who Red is, is is part of that. And so it'll be really interesting. I, I'm with you that I think he knows more than he's letting on. Mm-hmm. And They're all the beginning to play little games. To, they are. And it's, it's starting to... It, <laughs> you were talking about the countdown with the fingers. When they start playing little games with each other like this, it will explode. Yeah. Well, you have There's wrestlers just... sitting on 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 red illnesses. You have um, Liz, and now on Katerina being alive, or blonde Katerina being alive. Uh, although I do think that she is Katerina. Uh, we have um, uh, I am. Aram with that bizarre relationship with this woman who's getting a lot of secrets from him. Um, so there's there's so she many. She is so secrets. sketchy. Yeah, there is, is something so weird. Sketchy. Going. I'm just waiting to see where that goes because I I hope that we get to the end of that story by the end of whatever we're gonna get this season. I hope so too. I'm I'm excited we're gonna get the wrestler episode. Completely. I and am too. Like I'm, I've been looking forward to that one, and I have very high hopes for that. Well, we've been talking about that backstory of wrestlers since season one, um, so I'm I'm excited to hear that. And that's all I got. Ah, uh, no, season three. No, no, no. That's all I got on this episode that we've been talking about wrestler and his backstory. Wrestler with the whole bit about his dad being a cop popped up in season three. Yes, but we've been talking about what kind of person he was and what would be his backstory with him, you know, since oh. we started with Mako Tanida and we started with, uh, you know, the, 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 this guy who had had an assassination and then bungle it. And well, then there I mean, is. I guess, yeah, and the fact that he's a character and he has a backstory, but like the details of that backstory started coming up. Yeah, you know that specific side of it with Detroit and his father and all of that came up in season three. Mm-hmm. But there was always like this. Uh, when I started talking, when we started the the podcast, I I call it the rubber banding that he would just stretch one yep. way until he couldn't know more, and then he would pop back up, and then he would stretch again. And you know he has gone a lot more flexible with time. And I think that he lost that ability to snap back because he knows now that um, the line between good and evil cuts through the hearts of all of us. But, um, He's deep in the gray. Yeah, he is. 
and he doesn't he doesn't get to get out of there so much. Nope. All right. Do you have anything else? I do not. It was a phenomenal episode. Um, if by any chance somebody from the show listens to this, thank you. I felt like a kid in a candy store. There were so yeah, many symbols. It, it was a lot of fun. So much fun. And I mean, I don't want to say it feels like the old blacklist because the entire crew wasn't there, which is sad. Um, but it had a lot of energy. It had, I think it gave some good insight. Oh, one last thing, very last thing. And then we probably need to wrap. Um, Red's father. Oh, yes. That was a very lovely little story. Um, about Red Father, you know, teaching how him. at odds, how at odds he's been. He's been clear about being with his father over the years. I don't remember if we have a point in which that started happening, but at least at six years old, there was one thing they could bond over, if nothing else. When he has, we have we have a lot of stories from Red in his about that age, you know, going to the puppets and the oven puppet that scared him. So it seems like he was he had a good fun relationship, and it was it was interesting to me how they it's been also massively done that his first mentions of his father were always to people that he disliked, and over the years as he had begun to reevaluate. Um, things and speaking about his father and was his father a good man has begun to look upon him and start remembering good things and I thought it was a uh, it, it was a beautiful moment and it's also interesting that his father is always father not dad so that yeah. tells you a lot about the man oh without a doubt it's so those little things were were interesting, and and you know maybe in the next episode uh, of of the podcast I'll, I'll speak a little about a theory of mine about six in the invisible hand and and what it means. But you know maybe it's a complex thing, and there is a lot of it coming around with this number. Yeah. So that's it. I, that's well, I, just, well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to wrap everything up without mentioning the fact yeah. that his father was mentioned in this. Yeah, and I'm in a kind, fun light. I guess before he started getting difficult. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you guys can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And you can talk to us on Facebook, on Tumblr, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Feel free to weigh in and ask any questions. We'd be happy to, to tackle those. And until next week. Until stay next safe. week. Bye-bye. Yes. Stay safe. Stay well. Bye.